right. Good morning, everybody. As Jeff said, my name is John, uh, a member of the ministry team here. It's good to be here. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And, you know, I echo what Blake said. If you're uh, a father or soon to be a father or aspire to be a father or if you have a father, uh, whatever may be the case, father figure, um, happy Father's Day. Because I know I had several people in my life that aren't um, weren't technically in the role of dad, but definitely uh, inspired me and helped me in my time growing up. So if you would, just take a moment, bow with me in prayer as we jump into the message today. Lord, thank you for, for this day. Thank you for this day that we remember that you are our father. And Lord, as we share the word this morning, I pray that uh, by the Holy Spirit, that each one would hear what you have for them, Lord, that through this this review, uh, through this exploration of Jacob's story, that that we would see those markers of of your grace and and your faithfulness, Lord God, that they would inspire hope in all who come into contact with your word and that your word would lead them to your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is, this is our last Sunday here at the Transit, um, and it's, it is, you know, it's, it's a, a, a bittersweet day. It's good to, to be moving on in, in the military, but we've been here for, for four years. This is the longest that we've ever lived in one house, the longest that we've ever attended one church. Uh, so we're, we, we've gotten dug in here pretty deep. Uh, but more than the thought of leaving is the, the memories of being here and just all the different times that we had with everyone. So I definitely, truly thank you for, for uh, just the love and everything that you embraced us with for allowing us to be a part of your lives. And um, it is Father's Day, so that's good. I get to see all four uh, of my kids today at some point. Johnny's at work, but she's going to come by later. We got to spend some time together last night, so it's been really good. And I'm going to go and do something that I wouldn't usually do, and I'm going to point somebody out um, because uh, this is this is a, a special day for me. Sitting over here with my wife and kids is my aunt, my aunt Karen. Um, you've heard my if you were here a couple years ago, you heard my adoption story. Uh, well, uh, last month at some point, I was able to link up with a, a couple of my sisters through Facebook and text. Uh, my, my biological mom, and then also her sister, my aunt. So we actually are laying eyes on each other for the first time as of, you know, five minutes ago or so. <laughs> so there, there is going to be a sermon today, I promise. I promise. Okay, so we are continuing on this, uh, this week in our look at the life of Jacob and just the, the, the story of, of faith, God's grace, and everything that we can see throughout that story. Uh, so I want to kind of set this up, sharing, sharing a little bit about uh, my experience in college at the University of Cincinnati, uh, where my son has already started his second year, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, college, for me, it, it wasn't a straight path. It was a little bit. It was a little bit windy. Uh, I graduated in four years. I did graduate in four years. Graduated right on time, uh, despite the fact that I tried pretty hard not to. 
I tried pretty hard not to, not to graduate. I started off there as an electrical engineering technology major. You know, I, was, I was talking about being an accountant or something. What are you going to do when you grow up? And people were like, oh, there's a lot of money in engineering. So I was like, a lot of money in engineering. Okay, cool. You know, I'll do that. And I hated it. So I had, to, I had to change my major almost immediately. I dropped my engineering classes, and I was like, okay, I need two credit hours in order to be a full-time student in order to stay eligible for my scholarships. And the only thing that was open was Army ROTC. So I signed up for that and said, okay, cool, I'll do that. And then I went to University of Cincinnati to run track, and lo and behold, like a lot of freshmen, I was injured before I even started, so I redshirted my first indoor season, um, so I didn't get to run with the team, and that was, that was very frustrating to watch my roommate and my neighbors and all them practice and go off to track meets and come back with their stories and all that. But when they were away at meets, you know, I spent my time doing some ROTC stuff on the weekends and then also getting uh, to know uh, a young lady from across the street in a dorm called Daniels Hall. And then after my freshman year was over, after that experience, I decided, you know what, I'm done. I'm dropping out. Uh, and I went back to my summer job that I worked in high school. Uh, I worked on the electric crew. And uh, my best friend, uh, who was the best man at my wedding, he worked on the ground crew. So one day we had to go help the ground crew lay this big patch of asphalt. And we're back in Ohio. And for those of who don't know, there's no breeze in Ohio. You know, there's no, there's no ocean to cool it off or anything like that. So in the summer, Ohio can get pretty oppressive. So we're laying this patch of blacktop that's like the size of all these chairs over here manually in the heat, you know, 110 with the heat index, plus the blacktop and all this and all that. And I got home and I was like, this college thing, I don't know. I might have to rethink this because... I can't do this until I'm 62 years old. And sure enough, uh, a master sergeant from Army ROTC called me up and said, hey, that scholarship you applied for, you got it. So I was like, all right, I guess I need to get on the phone, register for classes, and do some other stuff. On the phone. There was no internet. On the phone, I had to register for classes. Um, so I went back. And then after my sophomore year, I decided, you know what? I'm enlisting in the National Guard. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to miss a quarter of school. That's all right. It's going to put me back a little bit. So I went up there, had everything filled out. The recruiter was happy, sent me up to MEPS, and I got medically disqualified. I was like, dude, are you, what? I've done two years of ROTC. I'm healthy. I've taken PT tests and all that stuff. Sorry. So I had to go back to school. Again, trying hard not to graduate. But, uh, you know, now, now here I am. Um, the girl from Daniels Hall is sitting Right there, uh, we got married. We got father of four, three of which are here today. One's at work. We'll see her later. And 20 years of military service as of this past uh, Wednesday on the Army's birthday on the 14th. Uh, so I've seen God work in my life in what I will call some beautifully stressful ways. I I'm thankful for things as I look back at them. But in, in the moment, I have to admit to just freaking out uh, when I'm going through. I'm just like, God, what, what's going on here? What, what did I do? Help me out. Um, and, and most of the time, I'm really freaking out because I know that the reason why I'm in that spot is because I put myself there. 
You know, it's not like I can look at God and be like, God, what are you doing to me? This is more like, dude, what are you doing to yourself? So and, and I think that, you know, maybe maybe one or two of you can relate to that. But thankfully, God is, is merciful and God is faithful. Now, I want to do just a slight review. So when last when last we left Jacob in Genesis uh, chapter 28, he had his his encounter with God and God made Jacob some some promises. Uh, so in Genesis chapter 28, starting in verse uh, 13, after uh, Jacob looked and saw the ladder and the angels ascending and descending, uh, the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob replied to him. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone on which I which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So we have the promises from God. God promised that he would give Jacob land. He promised that he would give him numerous offspring, that his family would bless the earth and that God would be with him and that God would protect him. And then Jacob's reply, as, as Nick talked about last week, is either a if that is kind of like, oh, well, if you're going to do all that, then here's what I'm going to do. Or it's like, if that happens, then I will also um, bow down to you. Uh, I, I tend to maybe side with, with Nick on that one, that if we look at Jacob's character leading up to this place, he's kind of, I think, maybe tending in the right direction, but not all the way there yet. I think he might be a little bit skeptical. So today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 29, verses 1 through 30. And this records the beginning of God fulfilling those exact promises. As Jacob is, is on this journey where he's fleeing for his life, God begins to fulfill what he said, that I'm going to fulfill this through you. And we also see that, that Jacob receives back some of the consequences for, for his choices. God is with him and God is faithful, but uh, the actions do have some consequences. What we will see is that even when people are faithless, God is faithful. No matter what we do, God's will will be done on earth. God's will will be done. We hear that from the Lord's prayer that we pray that, but whether we decide to pray that or not, God's will is going to be done. So we're going to walk. We're going to walk down through this. Uh, a lot of scripture. So we won't read it together. We'll just kind of walk down through the passage. So, again, Jacob is freeing, is fleeing for his life. And he is hopefully looking for love in all of the right places, because this is the place where where he was sent. Um, Rebecca 
sent him off, you know, and said, hey, your brother is, is consoling himself with, with thoughts of killing you. So what I need you to do is get out of here. And, and oh, by the way, head in the direction of, of Haran. And let's see if, uh, if you can link up with a wife while you're, while you're fleeing for your life. Okay, we'll do that. So he, he does eventually find himself in that area that, uh, that his mother and that his father sent him to. In chapter 29, starting right there in verse 1, then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east, skipping down to verses uh, to verse 4. After he meets up with the shepherds and kind of asks them about what's going on, Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep, skipping down to verse nine. While he was speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. So he 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 ended up there. Does he know exactly where he's at? It seems like, you know, he's traveling in the right direction. So he should at least have some idea. But he had to check. And lo and behold, here I am. And these men happened to know the uncle that I was looking for. And, oh, here comes one of his daughters my way. So, again, God is here. He's not overtly mentioned, but God is setting this up. He made this promise to Jacob. He has prospered his journey and he has arrived where he was going. And and Jacob is happy that things seem to be going along the same lines of when uh, Abraham's servant went out to find a wife for his father, Isaac. He's like, wow, you know, I've come to this place and we're at a well. Everything is going according to plan. So we see that uh, continuing on in verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. So then, of course, Laban is pretty happy, too. We're going to see why here briefly. Uh, but continue on in verse, th- verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone. You are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. So the link up is made. Jacob and Laban are both pretty happy. And, and Jacob has a reason to be happy. Uh, he, he would have grown up listening to the, the original, the original episodes of How I Met Your Mother. And this is this is this is very similar. So Jacob's got to be feeling pretty good um, because this is reminiscent of when uh, the servant met Rebecca at what is probably that very same well. And we see that in Genesis chapter 24. So starting in verses uh, seven through nine. And this is this is Abraham talking to his servant, saying that, you know, God is going to prosper the journey. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, before the servant, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then 
You will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. Something going on in that place. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So Abraham, though this though the stories are similar, Abraham sends his servant out on a mission. His servant isn't fleeing for his life. And Abraham has acknowledged God's hand in the process and is really telling the servant, but also praying that God will send an angel before him to greet his, his to greet him with success. So this is a definite mission God invited into at the top of the process. Skipping down to verse 12. And he said, talking about the servant, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman whom to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So the servant, again, is turning to God for guidance. He's not leaving anything to chance. He knows where he's at. He's arrived exactly at his destination, and he's asking God, please help me, show me this sign that I can complete this mission for my master. And it turns out that the servant immediately meets Rebecca, who is Laban's sister. Continuing on, verses 15 and 16. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled the jar and came up. So he, he meets his, he meets Isaac's future bride right there. He hadn't even finished his prayer yet, and God was already fulfilling it. So again, this is the story that Jacob would have been heard, would have heard about this very same ground. The servant immediately gives thanks after, after, after they meet because he knows that God is with him. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. So again, acknowledging the Lord. And then after they meet and they relay uh, everything that has happened to the family, to Laban's family, to, uh, to everyone who was there, even they recognize, skipping down to verse 50, they recognize the Lord's hand in all this. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. So the Lord is invited into the process. They're sent to that land. And again, this is what Jacob is thinking about. He's like, man, wow, here we go. Here we go. But here comes some of the key differences. Looking in verse 53, and this is the difference of being sent on a mission and fleeing for your life. 
And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave her brother, Laban, and he also gave to her brother and to her mother most costly ornaments. So paying the dowry here. So the servant came on a mission. He came prepared with God. He came prepared bearing gifts. So he had something to offer. And as a consequence um, or as a result, the servant is able to leave without delay, finishing off this part in verse uh, 56 through 58. But then he said to them, because they, they said, hey, let her, let, let's wait. Wait 10 days and then we'll let Rebecca go with you. But the servant said, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will. So they sent Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebecca. So he was able to leave without delay. But unfortunately for Jacob, season two of How I Met Your Mother was, was similar, but not the same as, as season one, which brings us back to today. So they've already met. And Jacob's happy. Things are going according to plan. Laban's happy. This thing has just kind of fallen in his lap. Once again, he remembers what happened the last time that, that one of these relatives came in to town uh, and met at a well. And we're looking at, at, at beautiful daughters, at someone's beautiful daughters. But, but here's, here's the setup. So looking at verses, uh, verse 15, 29, verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages shall be. So he was staying there for that month and no doubt they were giving him a place to sleep and eat. And, you know, probably said, hey, uh, you know, why don't you do something around here? Or Jacob being being pretty happy was actually probably was like, let me do something around here. But Laban quickly realizes, you know, this guy is, is fleeing for his life. Uh, he's broke. He's broke. He can't go back home. He's not going to go back home and get the camels because if he goes back home, he's going to lose his life. So I got to get something out of this guy. So let me begin the contract negotiations. How much should your wages be? Verse 18 uh, through 20. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Then Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Now, there's there's a key there in, in those seven years. There was there was dowries uh, of the camels and jewelry and all that stuff. But if someone was going to work, the work dowry was about three to four years. So he's right off the top offering to work double for uh, the privilege to be able to marry Rachel. He's, he's all in. He off, he asked for double and it's like a couple days to him. Um, he's you know, he's basically like, no problem. I got it. But then the other shoe drops and we see the deception. We know that uh, 
that Jacob, that that was his character. He's kind of named for having that character, one who supplants, one who grasps at the heel, that he took the birthright through deception. Uh, and now it's starting to, to boomerang back to him through, through what, what Laban is going to do. So Jacob asked for, for his pay after he performs his labor, verses 21 and 22. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered all the people together, gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. So Laban seems to be making good on on what he said. You worked your time. You're right. Let's get the uh, let's get the wedding feast going. But then a conspiracy is afoot. And Laban is definitely in on it, but it also seems like, or I would think, I don't know, that, that Leah had to be on this as well. Verse 23. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah, talking about Laban, and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, and there's an explanation point here. It was Leah. What? And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So you got to serve another seven years. And the, the irony here is, is not lost. Again, the consequences of, of the actions are coming pretty much directly back. Laban deceives Jacob when he can't see, similar to what he did with Isaac. Isaac's eyes had grown dim. He put on the fur so that he had the scent of Esau. It's, it's very similar. What, what you've done to get that birthright is now coming back to you. Laban also delivers that just subtle little dig. I don't know if Laban knows, but, but God knows. And these words come back on Jacob to like, hey, let me slip a little reminder in here. It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Jacob already supplanted his brother. Now he's looking back. We don't do things like that around here. And again, I don't know if Laban is doing that by intention. He's probably not. But God is definitely sending Jacob a message. Jacob demands Rachel and gives Laban another seven years. I mean, technically, hasn't he already done double the labor? I mean, he probably could have argued with him and said, hey, I've already done double. But he, he agrees to it. Who, who knows what Rachel, she must have been one heck of a young lady. You know, he, she, she really must have been. That, that's just a side note. But she must have been one heck of a young lady. Uh, Jacob uh, you know, loving Rachel more than Leah because it mentions that, that, that he loved Rachel more, seems to be about more than just looks. Because, indeed, if Leah did conspire with her father, there's some there's some animosity built up there as well. Um, you know, they said that, that her eyes were weak or whatever, so she might not have been attractive, but, but she also betrayed him right off, right off the bat as well. Um, 
But we start to see we also start to see Jacob's character grow in serving that that next seven years. He he became a, a worker. You know, they mentioned that he was stayed around the tents and all that stuff. But now he's out working. He's out earning his keep. He he's you know, did the double dowry already, but it then agreed to another double dowry after he was deceived. He labored basically two for one in order to have the privilege of, of marrying Rachel. Now, if you've, if you've grown up in church or you've grown up around this story, a lot of times Laban gets the rap for being the deceiver here. You know, it's, it's Jacob getting what he kind of deserves. He's getting it through Laban, who's, who's being dishonest. Uh, but I'll tell you, there's many levels of deception involved in this story. There's many... Uh, this, this seems to be something that's bigger than Jacob. It seems like it runs in the family, that, it, that it's surrounding this, this situation. However, again, God remains faithful and in control despite all of the faithlessness that we see. So I just want to highlight a few of, of the deceivers here. We'll start with Rebecca, not directly in this story, but she's the one who, who sent Jacob in there to steal the blessing from Esau. She set it up. You know, she she prepared the meal. She, you know, it's her idea to put on the the, the coat and, and all of those things. So uh, Rebecca prods him into doing that. She is the one who really puts Jacob's life in danger. Esau wants to kill him because of what his, his mom uh, had him to go and do. And we don't really hear much more about Rebecca because the next mention of her is during the, the narrative of Jacob's death. And at that time, the Bible just says Rebecca was, is already dead. So Rebecca, Jacob, named as the, the, the deceiver, steals the birthright, steals the blessing, um, and tricks his father in the dark. You know, when his father can't see, he goes in and, and fools him. And then Laban, again, tricks him in, in a similar way. Uh, he falls prey to Laban. And pays off uh, his own deception. So this is coming back to him uh, for 14 years. But in the end, we'll see that, that he comes out okay. And Laban, he, he's the guy. He's, uh, we'll, we'll call him, for this narrative, the weird uncle. He's the strange uncle. Uh, years ago, he gave away a sister for a prophet. He saw Jacob coming and, and saw another payday. But then when he found out that Jacob had nothing material to offer, he indeed was like, I'm going to get what I can out of this guy. So, so he did that. And then there's Leah. I put, I put possibly, possibly the ugly daughter. I mean, that seems to be the, the, where this thing is going. But anyway, she's Laban's oldest daughter. Um, and she, she had to take some type of role in, in deceiving Jacob. Um, you know, who knows what the pressure was on her, but she took some role in that. And uh, so she lived as the unloved wife. But again, God is faithful. And it's important to point out that of her sons, one was Judah, which was the line that Christ would come through. And one was Levi, the, the priestly line who who would intercede for Israel before the Lord to make atonement. So even even in her role, she is significant throughout time, even to what's going on today. That blessing that Jacob was promised, your family will bless families of the world, came through that line of Leah. This passage doesn't mention God. 
But it's easy to see that God is there. God is all over this thing. Uh, God is faithful to fulfill his promises. He promised Jacob the land. He promised him the offspring and he promised to be with him. And he makes promises to us as well. Again, through that line, through that line, which eventually Christ would become a man and walk this earth so that we could have salvation, so that we could be reconciled to God. He promises us that we will be a part of God's family through him, that we will receive salvation through him and that we will receive an inheritance through him. So what's our role? What's your role? You have to live like you believe in the Lord Jesus. You have to live like you believe in the Lord Jesus. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, as it says. But then we also have something that we have to do, not because it earns us salvation, but because we are compelled to do that as we truly follow our master. So how do we do that? How do we live like we believe? First, we have to trust in God and his promises. And when and we look at Romans chapter eight, verse twenty eight. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This doesn't mean that we'll be aware of it. And we may even have feelings and observations to the contrary. I can I can certainly promise you that there's been times in my life where I'm like, God, what is going on? I don't know if I was afraid or whatever. Like I've always been, I've always, I think, stopped short of saying, God, why are you doing this to me? You owe me. But I'm definitely like, God, help, help me out, brother. You know, just, just, just let me know what I'm doing. Help me to get this thing corrected. Help me to get this thing back, back on the tracks. Uh, when I was leaving Korea after my, after I was in command, there was 21 uh, interceptor vests that just poof, vanished, you know, at like 700 something dollars a piece. So I'm like, man, my kids aren't going to be able to have shoes. I'm not going to be able to, you know, be able to put gas in the car to leave Ohio to go back to Fort Bragg. What's going on, God? Um, I know I had to do something. And I'm in, I'm in trouble, Nick, because I know we're not supposed to look at it like that, you know, building that ladder and seeing what we did to take steps out. But um, but it doesn't always look like God is, is doing that work. The vest got found. The kids got shoes. So, you know, it, it was all good. But at, at that point, um, it's more important to say that I was really starting to walk with God fully. I had just gotten baptized before I left for Korea. Uh, the chaplain lived a couple doors down from me. He and I became really good friends. We were we, we spent uh, most most evenings together uh, and. He allowed me to to really start doing ministry there. He allowed me to take over his uh, his Bible study on the days when he wasn't there and things like that. So as I'm getting and you guys kind of know where I'm going with this, as I'm starting to get closer and closer to God. Now, the challenges are coming. You know, this 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 presents well. But is this only skin deep or can you be faithful? So um, God does work these things out for the good. But that doesn't mean that that they always feel that way. Uh and when we look at Jacob, 14 years, that's a long time. 14 years make us kind of mad. You know, we grew up with Burger King, your way, right away. We got apps for everything. It's, it's you know, 14 years. But a lot of good happened there. 
And, you know, we know that the first 14 years was like a day for Jacob. So, you know, he was good to go. And then he served, he served another seven. But think about it. In the 14 years, Esau cooled off and no longer wanted to kill him. He couldn't have just left. If he had just left, he might have been, he might have lost his life. Uh, he came to Laban with nothing. I'm not going to get into it because it comes later, but, but he left with some stuff. You know, he left Laban with some stuff that he accumulated over that time. His character grew. As I said, the person who stayed in the tents with the women proved to be a formidable man. And, and he was a finisher and he was able to work and, and, and stick to his commitments. And he was faithful even when Laban wasn't. So maybe it, maybe it took 14 years for all that to happen. Well, no, maybe. I mean, it did. Um, and, and it reminds us. And I actually wrote this before I listened to your sermon, Nick. It reminds us that the circumstances that Nick talked about last week, the circumstances are just a backdrop to our faith walk. It's just the context. It's, it's, not, it's not reality. It's just, it's, just a, it's just where we live. All right? Because uh, the circumstances do not determine the reality that's in our hearts. And God does his work in the trenches. God does his work in the hard places. So trusting God and his promises. And then we've got to allow God to work. Now, God's going to work in spite or despite us. So don't, don't get me saying that, you, that we can stop God's plans. I already said that his will will be done, but we want to allow God to work. We want to step back from the controls. I got to put a little footnote on that. Gwen Scott, she gave me that one. Just a little side note. As I was preparing for this, I was like, oh, I'm a little bit overwhelmed with uh, what do you preach on this passage? So I said, Gwen, I'm going to need your help. So she sat down at the table with me. She was tired. We read through it. And she looked at it and said, whew, I wouldn't want to preach this. <laughs> but, but she ended up giving me a whole lot of, a whole lot of what ended up being shared today. So, so she, she was a, a huge help. Um, so step back from the controls and we have to realize that we're always changing the, the whole time that we're alive we are going to continue to change we're going to continue to grow we've got to be okay with that uh, God will work to grow us especially as we cooperate with him because we're, we're, it's going to happen one way or the other we're either going to cooperate or not but God's will will be done uh, a, a, a verse that kind of speaks to this some is Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, rather speak the truth in love. And this is the part right here. We are to grow up in every way into him who is head into Christ. So whether it's speaking the truth in love, whether it's loving God, loving our neighbors, all these things, the goal is to keep growing, to keep growing into Christ, to keep growing towards him. And in order to do that in, I'm not going to say a smooth manner, but maybe a smoother manner is to allow God to work. And then one of the big lessons, the third thing that we see from, from this particular passage is watch what you sow. Watch what you sow, because what you sow, you will also reap. You have the freedom to take chances in sowing all the good that you can, even though it's scary. If, it, if you're moving towards God, if you're running after God, even though it's scary, you have the freedom to do that. Because you reap what you sow isn't always necessarily a bad thing. 
because we can sow good things as well. But this is not licensed to go out and do whatever you want because you think that God is going to preserve you. We have to be careful. We have to be mindful. We have to seek God's will and want to do what he would have us to do. Trust. We have to have that trust. Allow God to work. Allow him to work. And then watch what you sow. Watch what you sow. None of this is complicated. You probably hear something similar in some way, shape or form every Sunday, but it's not always easy. We, we get in our own ways um, and we suffer consequences of things that we do. Uh, we suffer consequences of, of some of the things that, that other people do. Um, you know, Jacob brother wanted to kill him for something that that his mom did trying to grasp hold of a promise in a way that God had had not uh, let out there for them. So uh, when, when you live like you believe, you live as one who has the hope to navigate any circumstances that may come up in this life with the confidence that God is in control. So we want to do that. Jacob's story is a story of God working to fulfill his purposes. God doesn't have to be mentioned in order to see his, his fingerprints all over this thing, especially when we open it up to the, to the whole of Scripture. We can clearly and easily see God's purposes because God's promises stretch beyond Jacob's life and are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, who, again, came through that line of Leah. God brings us a perfect Savior out of such an imperfect family, out of such imperfect people as we are ourselves. God will, will be done on earth, whether we believe or not, whether we cooperate or not. God is going to make things happen. So the encouragement is to live like those who believe. Live like those who have hope. Live like those who are the children of God. Let us pray. Lord, thank you uh, so much. As I close, even as I close this message, I thank you for being able to be here today to, to deliver this message for, for the time that I've spent here as, as part of the family at Transit. But Father, as we, as we do look at this text, help us to realize that you are faithful, Lord, that the promises that you make that you will fulfill, Lord. Give us sight to see what you are doing. Give us the courage to follow you in the places where you lead us, Lord. Help us to, to believe. Help us to serve you, Lord. Help us to be your people on this day and going forward forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. So we respond.